The Tom Woods Show, episode 2224. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hey, everybody. I'm giving away three free courses from my Liberty Classroom. One of them is ex-Marxist Michael Rechtenwald teaching you about critical theory so you can understand leftism and fight it better, as well as our course on how Alexander Hamilton screwed up America and the history of the conservative and libertarian movements. Check it out at 3freecourses.com. Hey, everybody. Tom Woods here. Well, we've got another episode that I don't dare post on YouTube. So you know this is going to be a juicy one. I have with me Jim Erdman from the let's say, intelligence community. We'll get some clarification in just a minute. Talking about, you know, what happened within the federal government regarding vaccine mandates and rationality and debate, none of which we've had on this on this (laughs) subject from anybody. So, Jim, give us a little bit of your background, who you are and how you get into this whole fiasco. Hi, Tom. And first of all, I want to say thanks for having me on. I got into this issue basically because of my son. And I want my son to grow up in a world that was as good as mine. When I was growing up, we ran around outside and we were told, hey, make sure you're inside when the ladybugs come out. I didn't want my son growing up in a world where, you know, at every corner he could be stopped and check his papers to see whether he's vaccinated or not. So if I had to put it into a bumper sticker, why I got involved, but it's a little more complicated than that. For me, the vaccine mandate issue was something I never expected coming. And just to give you a little of my background, I'm 50 years old. So Tom, you and I are men of a certain age. (laughs) Indeed. I've served in the federal government for quite some time. I started my federal government service at 2nd Ranger Battalion in the 90s. My educational background is biochemistry and molecular biology. I was reactivated by the military for eight months after 9-11. And after that, I was in the private sector for a while in bioinformatics and biometrics. And not long after that, I found my way into federal government service, eventually serving as an operations officer in the Central Intelligence Agency. And up until this summer, I was employed by them. I'm a decorated officer. I speak Mandarin and Arabic. I have some pretty bad gringo Spanish and a little bit of a mangled French, but I've been working for them for quite some time. And frankly, I have an unblemished career. I was never the subject of a complaint, nor had I made a complaint up until vaccine mandates. And so my role right now, I am the vice president of Fence for Med Freedom, which is a nonprofit organization that is focusing on litigating our way out of this vaccine mess. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but Feds for Med Freedom put together the lawsuit that was recently heard down in New Orleans in the 5th District, and it deals with the authority to actually issue a nationwide federal government mandate against federal government workers. To say how I got into all of this, I'd have to take a little step back. I think one thing that's been going on in the federal government is a complete lack of dialogue on the issue. And I'm involved in this because I think there needs to be accountability. And the only way we're going to get there, unfortunately, there's a few ways we get there, but unfortunately, Feds for Lead Freedom has to focus on litigation. But that's where we're going. We're going with litigation to hopefully put an end to 
vaccine mandates for federal government employees. I think I should, if it's okay, Tom, I'd like to break this down into four main issues or four main pieces of information that is related to how we got involved in this. How did Feds for Met Freedom start? What are we doing? Where do we want to go? And why does it still matter? Well, it started because across the whole of the federal government, and I'm not just talking in the intelligence community, and I, I will mention that specifically here in a little while, you had pockets of people well before the mandate hit that were sitting in offices saying, hey, this seems crazy. You know, none of this seems to make sense. The data doesn't seem to show that this vaccine is, and I'm using vaccine loosely, it's actually an injection, it's a therapeutic, it's a gene therapy. It doesn't seem to be effective. It doesn't seem to stop transmission. Asymptomatic spread doesn't seem to be what they claim it is. Masks don't seem to work. And you have these pockets throughout the federal government, every single corner. Unfortunately, you couldn't talk about it. You weren't allowed to. You were either directly or indirectly strongly encouraged to not speak about it. This is how it started. And I don't think the administration thought there would be as much backlash related to the vaccine mandates as there was. And so this is the reason why, even despite, what is it now, two and a half years, we're working on three of just craziness, I'm actually optimistic about what's going to happen going forward, if that all makes sense. Well, I always like to have a little bit of optimism here on the show, because as you know, it can be rather the opposite a lot of the time. Can you justify that? I can. And so I'll talk from my personal standpoint. You know, the IC is a, the intelligence community is really sequestered off. It doesn't have even the same ability to seek out employee mitigation. You know, there's the CSRA, there's EEO, there's all these things available, but the IC is more limited in what they can do when they feel as though they have an issue that needs to be addressed. So we had hundreds of people come forward and utilize all the employee resources that were available to address things like medical privacy, HIPAA violations, EEO complaints, harassment complaints. Now, those have not been answered yet. They will be. Why I'm optimistic there are far more people than you might expect willing to risk career livelihoods over principled dissent. And this was across the entire federal government. The key for us was finding a way to form a group that could act on everything that was going on individually. And I'm optimistic because there's a lot more people in the federal government than I think many people think that are willing to stand up and voice their concern. And right now, there's about 8,500 members in Feds for Med Freedom, and they cover just about every federal government agency, department, and administration out there. When the vaccine mandate hit, many of the members of Feds for Med Freedom had already made a number of complaints, You know, whether it's EEO, whether it's fraud, waste, and abuse, and there's a whole bunch of them. Whistleblower. And they were just looking for an organization that could help them address it in court. So for me, you know, it started with a handful of people meeting my office. We sent emails around. And before long, we were able to gather a critical mass of support. I had sent a number of emails. And 
I want to say I'm, I'm not saying I was the only one who did this. There's a whole bunch of people who did this. I sent a number of emails to very senior members of my organization that didn't land well, but they were the truth. They talked about mask mandates, mask effectiveness, the medical information showing up on the VAERS database, and some of the risks that appeared to be neurological, oncological, autoimmune, thrombotic, myocarditis, all of these things. And so you have many, many federal government employees who stood up and said, hey, this isn't right. And right now, you got about 8,500 who are involved in three legal suits against the federal government, one of which has gotten our uh, temporary injunction against the vaccine mandate. Just recently in September, they heard our case in Louisiana, and we're waiting on an en banc decision with that. So I, I'm optimistic because the quality of people that came forward, it's more than I expected. I think everybody thinks that, you know, when they're confronted with something that seems really wrong, morally wrong, they'll be the one to stand up and say no. The truth is, most people won't do that. Most people won't stand up and risk their livelihood over things like that. There's far more than I expected. I presume, though, that you have been somewhat alienated from some of your other colleagues because of this? Certainly. And it's, I don't have any regrets in terms of standing up and saying this is wrong. If I have a regret, and regret might be a strong word, I wish there was a way that I could minimize the damage that's been done, not just to the institutions, but many people, they just don't want to hear this stuff. And it runs counter to their worldview. And it certainly hasn't made any friends for me. And I, if I have any regrets, it's only that I wish I was better able to navigate how I could have more gently brought more people into the fold. You know, when the vaccine mandate hit, I liken it to, it felt like a near ambush, you know, to harken back to some military terminology. You know, there was no time to act. You know, you were hit with everything all at once. They said, listen, you're going to get fired in November if you don't get the shot. You need to get the first shot by this date. And if you don't get it by this date, you're gone. There was nothing we could do. It was a very demoralizing time. And a lot of people at that point went out and got the injection. We lost some people on the way, but we managed to get through that process. But in the process of getting through that piece, there were a lot of arguments about what was right, what was moral, what was legal. And it certainly has alienated people on my side of the argument from others within their organizations. The reason I'm optimistic, though, the narrative is changing. And it's, frankly, it's programs like yours, Tom, that have helped educate people on what really is happening, what the data is really showing. So I guess my optimism, I hope, isn't misplaced. You know, I'm by nature fairly skeptical. You can work in my line of work without being a little skeptical. But um, let me tell you a little bit about our organization. Well, before you do that, yeah. were you scolded by... <laughs> the, well, I want to know specifically, were you scolded by the CIA not just for declining the... I don't use the word refusing. That's propaganda word. Declining the vaccine. Or were you punished specifically for organizing against the very existence of the mandate itself? I was punished for organizing against the existence of the mandate. Okay. I organized the IC's legal battle against the mandate. So 
at one point I had talked to maybe 1,100 officers, but in the end, I think we're probably 200 or so that we had talked to on a regular basis. And now there's a core group, but frankly, that was nowhere near enough to actually mount a fight against this mandate. So yes, to answer your question, yeah, I got in trouble. I was described as a disturbance to the workforce. Now, I really don't want to focus too much on me because this is about our group and what we hope to do in the future, but there was a lot of other disturbances to the workforce who were working there. And I was just one amongst many, working across the federal government as well. And yes, I was effectively demoted. I was removed from my management position. I was put on a two-year letter of reprimand. And the ironic thing was, I had never had a complaint against me my entire career. And I was up until right before the vaccine mandate, receiving performance awards for leadership. And so it was, I wouldn't say it was one of my favorite times. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. Well, I interrupted you. You wanted to say more about the organization. No, no, no Tom, it's your show. So <laughs> the organization Feds for Men Freedom. I want to focus on that because it's one thing to organize the ICs fight. And there's a lot going on with the ICs fight. We've got staff, we've got contractors. But you know, when it came down to it, when the vaccine mandate hit, we started looking for lawyers because we had already exhausted. We had talked to EEO, we had talked to every outlet we could find. And I personally was like, well, I guess somehow my emails had gotten around. And so I went out looking for the lawyers. And I'll tell you, what surprised me, and maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, I had a real hard time finding a legal team, really hard time. You know, I can't count how many law offices I reached out to, and none of them, at least at that time in September of 2021, wanted to touch this case with a 10-foot pole. Uh, I wish you'd reached out to me. I know some dissident lawyers who would have been glad <laughs> to take it on, but it's water under the bridge. Well, next time. Next time we have a yeah. <laughs> next catastrophic place. thing that happens, <laughs> you reach out to me. Well, we did. We did. And so, you know, I had our group of IC members that were looking to litigate. My lawyer said I should reach out to Marcus, who is the president of Feds for Men Freedom, because he had done this fantastic job of marshalling a huge group of federal government employees. You know, I didn't have that kind of reach, and we really needed this to be, if this was going to work, it couldn't just be like one agency or one department. It had to be across the whole federal government. And so Marcus, Megan, and Brian, I had linked up with a few of them in September, they had already gotten at least some organization put together. And I'm truly grateful that I was able to link up with them because they brought some real strategic thinking to how we wanted to attack this problem and brought me on board. So after September 9th, we had found some lawyers from the federal practice group that were willing to help us with the first of our lawsuits. We have another lawsuit in Florida that's still ongoing. And both of those lawsuits, one in DC and one in Florida are ongoing. And those are focusing on the Administrative Procedures Act. And there's a lot of case law supporting that. If I can summarize it, and I'm not a lawyer, Tom. I'm not a lawyer. But uh, basically, you know, when something like this happens and they say, hey, here's your executive order, you need to implement this across the whole of the federal government. There is a procedural way in which that has to be done so that it's done legally and they've checked all the boxes. Again, to sort of keep it short and sweet, it's almost impossible to quickly implement something like this 
across the whole of federal government. If they were going to do it truly 100% correctly, they would have had to slow down the process and give it time for all of the bureaucracies to be able to talk back and forth. That didn't happen. Now, again, this I'm not a lawyer. That's sort of a dumbed-down version of what those cases are focusing on, but it's a little bit different than our case in Texas, which was just heard in New Orleans on Bonk, in that it's really focusing on how the administration of the executive orders are applied. Those cases cover both staff and contractors for the federal government. Our Texas case is focused on the authority to say, hey, listen, everybody's got to get a shot. And, you know, we're waiting to hear. Waiting to hear that's an en banc decision. Which, what does that mean? Okay. So what happened was we got a temporary injunction. Okay. And said, hey, listen, nobody's going to get across the whole federal government. No staff federal government employees are going to have to take this vaccine. We got that back, was it January? Well, that decision got reversed by a three-judge panel. Now, we drew three judges. They reversed that decision. And so we appealed for an en banc hearing down in the 5th District, and it was heard in New Orleans. And en banc means all of the judges from the 5th District will sit and hear the case. Now, I can't remember the exact statistic. I think it's one in 640-something cases actually get approval for an en banc hearing. And what it's basically saying is, hey, listen, we think there is reason to rehear the case. So these 16 and 17 judges were there in New Orleans and actually the board members for Feds for Lead Freedom and a whole bunch of the membership flew out to New Orleans to go be there at the, uh, I was there. The whole board was there, president, treasurer, secretary, Josh. And we sat down to hear the case. And, you know, we're hopeful. In fact, we're very optimistic. We're hoping that this gets resolved, but the wheels of justice move slow. And I don't want to prognosticate on what is definitely going to happen. We don't know. We know that it takes an on average five months for an on bond hearing to get a ruling. But did I answer your question, Tom? Well, it does. But doesn't it show something that I've emphasized here and there that for all this talk about the rule of law, and of course, we need the state so that we can have predictable, decisions coming out when the same kinds of scenarios pop up. We want to have the same predictable, regular decision. That's not what we have at all. We all know perfectly well that especially in a case like this, it all depends on what judges you get. Everybody knows that. Whether the judges like the vaccine mandate or not, (laughs) that's what matters. Am I too cynical? No. Okay. You're not. You're not too cynical. And this sort of goes back to one of the things I really want to point out about what we're hoping to get out of our lawsuits and what we hope to do in the future, accountability. You know, it's, we all know that the government is filled with a whole bunch of unelected bureaucrats that make a lot of decisions and have a lot of leeway to go do things, you know, and there's not a lot of insight into it. One of the reasons I'm optimistic, we have a lot of government workers who truly believe that they are not just accountable to their supervisors. They're not just accountable to politicians they are supposed to reflect the values of average Americans. And going forward, we need to get this win in the 5th District to help for our future plans. It's not 100% necessary, but we have litigation plans that come after the 5th because we do want accountability. There's been huge lies, obvious 
and too obvious to ignore. And the American people demand better, not just from their politicians, they demand better from their bureaucrats that are working behind the scenes. You know, one of the things that was disappointing to me, you talked about alienation. You know, one of my colleagues I've worked with for a long time, and they would shrug their shoulders and say, hey, I'm just following orders. That's not good enough. That's not good enough for how big our federal government is. And so I think it's important for us, Beds for Med Freedom, that after we find out what the ruling is on the Fed, we want to make sure that every step of the way, we are running an organization that ensures that not just the vaccine mandates go away and the infrastructure that they put in place goes away, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but that bureaucrats represent the values of average Americans. You know, it's, I've heard it a billion times, you know, listen, can't get anything done. You can't reach out to these agencies and these departments and find out what's going on. You know, it just sort of happens. Well, there's, I want to tell you, Tom, there's a lot of federal government employees and surprisingly, more that listen to your program than I expected. I've been listening to your program since I think late 2015, 2016, that want that. They desperately want that, not just for the American people, but for the health, the health of our government. And, you know, we think institutions have been damaged. And, you know, you can go back and forth about which institutions should or shouldn't be doing what and what's their role. But I think this has been very damaging. This whole period has been very damaging to a lot of institutions, not just CDC and FDA and NIH and NIAID, you know, those sort of organizations that, I mean, as far as I can tell, they've been, they've been purchased by pharma. But institutions, they have to be on a foundation of truth that they're going to be any good whatsoever. You know, I go back to my role for a good long while. And, you know, I can't, I'm not allowed to go into some of the specifics, but what I'll say about my role, say, at the CIA, you know, when you boil it all down, and again, Tom, I understand you'll have a lot of listeners who will hear this and say, uh-huh, but when you boil down what my job has been, my job, and just like the job of every other intelligence officer, is to find truth, find truth, and then present it to policymakers so they can make wise decisions. And, you know, the environment's pretty rough because you've got flat-out lies, you've got misinformation, disinformation, distraction, everything else under the sun that's trying to keep you from finding that truth. But, you know, at the best, most altruistic sense of what we've done in my organization is we find truth and we present it to people so they can do the right thing with it. I think the disturbing thing about this whole episode is many federal government workers presented that truth to their supervisors, immediate, secondary supervisors, senior leaders, and they ignored it. Not only did they ignore it, it was sort of like a willful ignorance toward it, shrugging shoulders. So when we talk about accountability, we need leadership and we need bureaucratic leadership that can accept and process principled dissent. I'm not sure we're there. But I am hopeful because there's a whole lot more people than I expected who really did stand up and risk everything to try and tell their leaders the truth. Before I go on, let me say a quick thing that will help a lot of you and you know who you are. 
If you are in business and you're getting buried by your competition online, then build your brand, your reputation, and your lead flow with digital marketing by Persist SEO, our great sponsor. If you're a small local business, you're trying to compete against large companies in the service industry, increase your visibility with Persist SEO. Or if you have low or no leads coming in on a consistent basis, well, website search engine and conversion optimization can help move the needle to a more prosperous business model for you. If you're tired of cold calling, use your website as a lead generation engine. If you're not showing up for your services on the search engines, then get found with Persist SEO's expert search engine optimization. All you have to do is call 770-580-3736 or visit them at ineedseo.help for a free website audit and consultation. That's 770-580-3736 or ineedseo.help. Let me ask you this. Do you think there were any significant differences between facing this problem in the public sector versus what people faced with mandates in the private sector? Anything significant? Here's something I think you should keep in mind, and I'm glad you asked this question. The federal government is the biggest employer in the United States. And then when you add on all the private sector companies that are involved in work with the government, you've got a huge number of employees that are affected by vaccine mandates. Okay, and promise I'll get to the difference. So first thing to keep in mind is what happens in the public sector to the federal government, or even the state governments, that will happen. That will happen to the private sector if it happens in the public sector. Because you've got the biggest employer out there. If, you know, vaccine mandates went forward, it would just be a matter of time before it could be pushed to the private sector. Thankfully, the OSHA ruling, just like a lot of other rulings, have gone in our favor. Not 100%. That's one thing to think about. When you talk about the difference, though, between the public and private sector, I don't think I have a right to have a public sector job. That's not what I'm saying. I also think that the difference with the public sector is they have more leverage to say, hey, listen, you know, you need to do this. They can write it into contracts, you know, the, they can write it into job descriptions. And that can happen in the private sector too, but it's a lot easier to have a public outcry and have something backtrack in the private sector than the public sector. It takes longer to change those things in the public sector. Take, for example, CSRN, you know, the, uh, our means by which we can pursue when we have an, an argument with our employer, whether it's EEO or harassment, whatever. That's a process. That takes time. And we, by the way, Fence for Med Freedom has been helping to organize, I lost count at this point, there's at least 10 different class action EEO complaints going on across the federal government that Fence for Med Freedom has helped organize. But that's a process. It takes time. And in fact, you can still be fired during that process. You know, So there is a difference. I think private sector can move a little quicker to adjust or change your mind. Like I've heard on your program before, you know, once something is enshrined into the federal government or into the statute or whatever, once it's part of the government, it's really hard to make it go away. Hopefully I answered your question. Yeah, it's true. It's just, I think that one, I guess another difference would be that although a court can overturn a federally imposed mandate, like if you have 100 or more employees, you have to have them all get the shots. The thing is, if it's just a voluntarily imposed private sector mandate, 
then it's much, much harder to win in a court because, well, you know, it's their company. They can do what they want. Whereas a court can, in fact, solve the public sector fax requirement problem. Now, if it doesn't, it doesn't, but it can at least just in one fell swoop. You know what? That's, I'm going to have to say that's a pretty fair point. And I think that... Uh, By the way, I'm not saying you're therefore in a very easy situation. None of these are easy. I didn't take it that way for sure. And frankly, you know, I was dumbfounded by the push with OSHA. You know, this is a, I think it has 10,000 people. There was no way that they could implement something like what was being proposed. So I was happy to see the results of that litigation go forward. And on the private sector side, I do think that there is a cost benefit too. If what they're pushing is truly just really damaging to the bottom line, eventually, either the business fails or they can adjust on their own. You're right about the, the collateral damage to employees. It's going to happen a lot quicker, a lot quicker. So people listening now who are just, you know, okay, look, we're not generally pro-public sector people who listen to right. the Tom Wood Show, but right. we are... More than that, we are very, very anti-vaccine mandate. Very. Mm -hmm. So what next step would you want people to take here? Well, I can break it down into two pieces here. You know, I talked about accountability, and I just want to mention that the injunctions are still in place temporarily for some of the contractors, and that has to do with stuff that's gone on in the 11th district, uh, lawsuits there. I want to say that there's a lot of databases that are still going to exist. They're going to adjudicate on a whole lot of issues that shouldn't exist. They violate privacy. They violate religious rights. So along that front, I just want to get that out there real quick. In terms of what we want to do next, we want to continue to litigate. And we do have some plans put together. It'll depend a great deal on what happens in the 5th District. But we also want to expand what we're doing to ensure, or at least focus on, something I touched on before, making sure that federal government employees actually reflect the will of people. So what can we do going forward? We need support. You know, we're a grassroots organization. We have gotten donations anywhere from five to, you know, a number of thousands of dollars, but everything that we have managed to grow, it's grown organically through individual donations. So if there's something that people do want to do, they can go to our website, and they can donate. We've got recurring donations. We've got one-time donations. It's a tax write-off because it's a 501c3. So that's one thing. What's the website again? It's feds, number four, medfreedom.org. Okay. So if they go there, they'll see a lot of resources there. There's a lot of things that I'm hoping we can accomplish. We've got templates for messages that can be sent to, you know, congressmen, senators, representatives, local representatives about the vaccine mandate. We've got a lot of information on EO complaints and how to manage those. So there's a lot of resources there that you can find. I think if you are a business, and this is something we're really hoping to find, we know there's a lot of businesses out there that disagree vehemently with what has occurred. We are definitely looking for businesses who can help support our cause. So if there's a business out there that would like to donate to our cause, we'd be very appreciative. Again, it's all grassroots and nobody gets paid a thing. It's all volunteer. For the first few months that Feds and Led Freedom started, we were building the car 
as we drove it off the lot. So, you know, we were pulling all lighters. We we're doing basically two jobs. And that includes not just board members, but the members themselves. Like right now, we've got a huge FOIA effort going forward. So we need support, though, to make that happen. Even FOIAs cost money. And then, I guess, last but not least, there's a lot of federal government employees that had, you know, they decided they're just leaving. And I don't judge them for that. Frankly, you know, it's been a pretty rough couple of years. And so if you reach out to me on LinkedIn, and I can leave you my LinkedIn profile, we've got a private group of folks that if you want an employee that will be loyal, who is principled in their decisions on why they do or don't do things, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter. And if you want to gather some additional information, Feds for Med Freedom, just send an email to us. It's on our website, right? Attention Jam. We'll be glad to provide anything else your listeners may need. All right, Jim. Well, thank you very much for your story and for what you're doing and for your support. We appreciate it very much. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate your time and really appreciate the video. All right, folks, that is another episode of The Tom Woods Show. I will see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at Podsworth.com.